Hello, and welcome to the latest show from At The Flicks. Today, we're going to take a step back from our usual fun magazine-style format for what we think is a timely discussion. What is the future of cinema and theatre in the COVID and post-COVID world? As you know, cinema releases seem to change at a moment's notice, and many theatres in the UK have cancelled their very profitable pandemic season. For anyone listening outside the UK, please Google pantomime. It's far easier for me to explain the rules of cricket to you than explain how this very <laughs> British tradition works. Anyway, back to this. To help us make sense of what's going on, and to make some predictions, we are joined by Paul and our carry-on streaming expert, Dick. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Hi guys. Hi Jeff. So, let's go for it then. At the moment... We're in this bizarre half-world where places are open, but safety procedures limit numbers. Do you think both theatre and cinema can survive with limited audiences? Paul! A simple answer, Jeff. No. And do you want a bit more than that, or just no? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Expand. And I'll talk cinema um, initially, because theatre's not my strong point. I think that the model doesn't work at all if you're looking at, at, at lower seat utilization and i think that's a big thing for cinema and when you look at it the way it stands at the moment cinema's actually it's not a cheap ticket what we're looking at is probably what about 12 pounds something like that to get into a, a, an average cinema thing and when you're looking at 50 percent seat utilization off the back of that and also who that 50 percent might be from an attractiveness i think actually there's some real challenges in that model and i'm not sure it can work but i think cinema uh, running at the rate it's running at at the moment um, and, and will continue to run at if it's able to stay open in any shape or form. And let's not forget, COVID isn't going away. At the moment, with the with the distancing rules and everything else, cinema will really only attract the persistent. It'll attract people like yourselves, probably more than me. I talk to three people, I guess, on here that go to the cinema far more regularly than I do. The problem is, is that the persistent doesn't really fund cinema. And I think there's an interesting area in there in terms of how it goes. So if I look at the way, for instance, Jeff, you might go to the cinema. Yeah. Um, what I would say is you probably would go to the cinema and A, look for somewhere free to park. B, probably enter the cinema on some sort of discounted ticket. Um, and I'm not talking old age ticket, obviously, Jeff. Um, you're kind of <laughs> un- unlimited. I'm not talking yeah. concessions. Yeah. Um, but also... When you go into the cinema, you probably walk straight through that most attractive part of the cinema, which is the bit that they try and sell you all the sweets, popcorn and everything else, and go to your seat, sit down and watch the film. You know me too well. I do. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm though, the same, Paul. I'm exactly the same. I, I, and you're the same. And, I, and I think the persistent <laughs> viewer is that person, person who will persevere and go to the cinema through rain and shine and covid will be predominantly those people. Yeah. And those people are not enough to fund cinema. And that's a really good point, because over the last couple of days, Phil Foster and Zoe Smith, a.k.a. Zobo with a shotgun, have both posted pictures of them going to the cinema and being the only persons in the screen. Yeah, absolutely. My recent experience, my recent experience the last two films I saw, I was on my own completely on my own and I, I read something really interesting jeff deck as well in terms of what i call the persistent cinema goer 
is that the average person that goes in and buys popcorn, drink, and a bag of sweets to the cinema is worth 10 persistent viewers. You know, the popcorn alone is, isn't it the most expensive thing in the world by weight or something more expensive than caviar? (laughs) So, Um, So the cinema needs those people. It needs those people who are who are going to cycle through that kind of casual going and spend that money, and, and whether we like it or not, guys, we're not those people. No, but the problem you've got then is you haven't got the releases. So when Tenant opened in the summer, it took sixteen million pound in the UK, which is not bad, you know, c- considering we're in the middle of COVID. So so that's not a bad taking, and that brought in those audiences. But films like baby teeth new mutants i was on my own in the yeah, new mutants. it's just not attracting them without the big films nobody's going to come but if you went around that cinema and there were five or six people in there you'd probably find they'd all be very similar people to yourselves or ourselves they'd all be all be similar people in terms of they go regularly they wanted to support the cinema they want to do all those kind of things but actually i'm convinced that it's not those people that are actually the people that will allow cinema to to, to persist yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more positive than Paul, I think. I think it can survive, but I think the big but is it really needs to adapt. It needs to adapt its model. I think it needs to adapt the way distribution works. I think it, it just it can't just sit and wait for things to go back to how they were. This magic vaccine may never arrive. It may never work that well. We could be in this situation for a long time. Some people have adapted. You look at even other businesses outside of cinema, you know, restaurants and people. Some have adapted better than others. Some are more nimble. Some have come up with, and actually some have been so successful in their adaptions that they probably won't return to what they did before because they're actually making more money than they were before. Mm. They've maybe introduced a delivery service that they'd never done before. And actually it's making them loads of money. I think that's the thing. And I think, I mean, over in America, and I know it's a bit different over there, they've seen a massive increase in drive-ins. Um, they've got more space than us and probably slightly better weather as well. But that's an adaption. They've altered to say, OK, people don't feel safe coming back. So come back in their cars and watch. And it's not that's not the solution. I'm not saying that is, but that is an, an option. And there will be others and people need to be creative and they need to think of new new ways of doing it. But they um, still don't have the product. That's the problem. No, I'll get onto that later. But okay. you at the moment just asked us, can it survive? Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm just saying. Yes, I think it can. And the same with theatres. And actually, I think theatres and cinemas could help each other out. I'll get onto that later on. They just need to change. They can't just sit and expect it to be like it was before. I really like the term adaption deck, but I think adaption is key. And as you know, Jeff, I I quite like the economics behind quite a lot of this stuff in terms of how it's working and, and, and how they can survive purely as businesses, not necessarily as cinemas. It could be any other business. And I think if you look, there are three models at the moment that are, I think, are possible models for cinema going forward. I think there is the status quo. Cinema looks to go back to what it's always been. And actually COVID finishes and cinema comes out the other end and things are unplugged and it behaves exactly as it's behaving now. I think there is there is also a model, which is the streaming model and how cinema fits alongside that, where we start to reduce the lead time on films. But actually streaming becomes a primary source and cinema finds a way to live alongside it. Or there's this kind of in-between type model i think which i think i've talked to you about separately jeff which is this theory that actually cinemas will be bought and manifest into something different 
probably be bought by, who knows, an Amazon or a, a Netflix or a Disney or whatever else. And we start moving back towards the model where cinemas are owned by almost channel controllers. I think there are three models there for how cinema comes out of COVID. And I think they're probably the three most likely models. Of those three, I think the status quo model is the least likely to be sustainable. Can we pick up on that point a minute? Because the Mm. interesting thing with both cinema and theatre is they've been through this before. In 1980 and 1920, they went through it. And they hit the same problems. They were shut down. People weren't allowed to gather. But what happened there and why that status quo model quickly reverted back is it had no competition. Radio didn't come really mass market till 1923 in the States, 1926 with us. So there was no competition for them. So they could ramp back up quite quickly and carry on like nothing had happened. Now is different. The Netflixes of this world, Disney+, Plus, they've taken over a huge chunk of this. You're quite right. Will that status quo model go back? Probably not. The interesting models are the other two. Um, because I think the other two both play into a kind of similar piece, which is the power starts moving to those companies now that have got bottomless pockets. Uh, and we all know they are. There are a few of them there in terms of the moment. We've mentioned some of the names so far. And I think when you look at the COVID period that we've been going through as well, people haven't been going on holidays. People have had more disposable income are those fortunate enough to retain jobs and what we have seen is we've seen an increase in people investing money in home entertainment systems we've seen an increase in people taking on new subscriptions we've seen an increase in people buying big televisions and everything else that, that goes with that everything is playing into for me those first two models the other thing people are investing in is outdoor screens and outdoor mm. you know in their gardens people have and we were lucky to have a good summer a lot of people in you know who missed a sort of bigger bigger than tv experience were buying projectors and projecting them onto quite large screens or sides of houses and things and having almost like a a festival type atmosphere in their own garden yeah. they're recreating the environment aren't they they're not they're looking at they're not saying i'm going to lose that environment what they're saying is actually i can recreate that in some way shape or form albeit with a big screen or doing something outside or or whatever it might be yeah graham you were going to say yeah, I was just reading today that uh, LG and Samsung are actually ramping up their much larger screens for next year. So they actually agree with you, Paul, actually, that people are investing in bigger screens and sound systems to go along with it. So the manufacturers are seeing an opportunity here that, to get into people's houses. I I didn't read about the back garden, but that's a really interesting thing as well. But yeah, manufacturers are seeing a hole in the market and they're going to go for it. But do you think these companies are buying up what would have gone to cinemas and putting it on there? I mean, Apple famously spent 70 million on buying Greyhound. They haven't really bought other big films out there. Air escort to Greyhound. You will now be out of range of air cover for the next five days. How many crossings does this make? This was my first... I got some. Most likely a U-boat. He's trying to slip under us! Fire! We have a kill. Disney put Mulan on at a premium price, and that was a flop. Warner's selling Enola Holmes, which was designed for cinemas, sell it onto Netflix. There are oddities going on here as well. 
it's interesting when you look at the numbers behind it, isn't it? Is that I think can these businesses sustain beyond COVID is the question. But I guess in turning that question on its head is were these businesses really sustaining themselves before COVID? Mm. And actually, are we talking about rather than being something that's causing the collapse, is it something that's really just expediting it? That's probably um, true with Cineworld, isn't it? I mean, the amount of debt they had prior to COVID was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, Cineworld, uh, Cineworld are currently carrying $8 billion in debt. Yeah. Um, so that's $6.2 billion pounds in debt. They were also Cineworld. unlucky as well, though, weren't they? They bought a company at the wrong time. They did, um, and, and that was extremely unlucky. But even before then, Jeff, you know, they were best part of $4 billion in debt. Um, now, I think as we've discussed previously, it's not unusual for cinemas to be carrying a large amount of debt. Um, and they're often allowed to do that because they have a large amount of cash coming through the door on a daily basis, which balances the debt. But I think closures impact businesses like that more than any other business because they start struggling. Is As soon as you start moving into the position they're moving in now, their credit gets downgraded. Um and as a result of their credit getting degraded, the interest on that debt increases um, off the back of it. So that suddenly becomes what was already before COVID a big weight around their neck suddenly becomes incredibly difficult. Now, the positive thing is $6.2 billion is probably what Amazon spend in lighting on a daily basis. <laughs> Some indication as to, okay, huge level of debt within that organization and where that could actually just completely disappear within a purchase picking up one of your other options and it's the likes of netflix and amazon could potentially go in buy these cinema chains and use them as a first run before they put them onto their streaming services yeah or a complimentary run i i actually do think that there will always be a place for what i call event cinema um there will always be a place for much like theater west end cinema big cinemas big cities big blockbuster films, those kind of things. I think it's the small regional stuff that probably in any kind of purchase, you may well still see at risk if it was bought by an Amazon or a Netflix or anything else. The interest levels they may have, for instance, in sustaining a cinema in in Stroud or a cinema in Cheltenham just to localise it may well not be there. I could see big flagship cinemas in the the West End, in city centres and stuff, carrying that big company banner with it, I think would be quite an attractive proposition still. There is still an audience out there at the moment that streaming isn't, they haven't come round to it as an option yet, either due to where they live and the lack of a decent broadband mm. or due to the house or flat they live in, in terms of size and space, getting a decent size screen. I, I know people have invested and, and things will get better and broadband will get better and there will be more people. But I think at the moment there is still quite a big audience that go to the cinema because they haven't really got a decent other option at the moment? I think the only question is on that deck, and my question to you is, will that improve or will that get worse? Well, it'll get worse at the moment because they're the vulnerable category, most of them. Therefore, they're the ones least likely to go back to the cinema at the moment. Going right right back around to your first question, Jeff, I, I, I actually think it's a relatively straightforward question, and I don't think it's a COVID question. Because I honestly think we would have been approaching this question probably in a year, two years, three years, whatever it might have been. I th- and I think you're right. I think we'll come to that question. But I don't think it will be straight away when we come out of COVID. And the reason for that is 
the cinema is building up all these blockbusters. It's almost like bursting at the seams at the moment. They're not selling them on, they're keeping them. We're going to get one big one per week for a whole year, quite easily. And I think that will give you that false thing, oh, it's all back to normal. But at some point that runs out. Do you actually think, though, Jeff, that your blockbuster viewer will go to the cinema to see those blockbusters every week? That's the challenge in it. I, th- I think it could happen, yes. I think so. It depends on, on the film. But if we're talking of the comic book hero thing and uh, and what we got of those, you've got Wonder Woman 84, you've got... Black Widow, Suicide Squad, yeah. Batman. So um, that's five or six. I mean, that's, you know, we're essentially just off the top of our head almost listed two months' worth. And I, yes, there's a big audience for that. But you've got to sustain them to be able to get there. You've I got to sustain those, that model to get there. Some of those will downgraded to streaming, I reckon. Some of those will, either due to reviews or poor reviews, or I don't know how else they'll judge, but I think some of those will move to streaming, like we've seen already. Uh, and the other thing, I think, is because they'll be so stacked and they'll be week, 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 they'll only get a window of a week because that's all they'll be given. And then they'll say, right, well, we're going to put this on our streaming service. But it doesn't matter because all chains look at is what were your first weekend grosses? Yeah. I think there is another one, another option, and it's a little bit like what you were just saying, I guess, Graham, is that Hollywood is a big machine. Yeah. If there's a log jam, and there is a log jam already, does Hollywood stop? No. no Hollywood doesn't stop. No. Hollywood says, actually, what I now have to do is I might not like it and I might not make as much money from it, but I'm going to have to push these out through another channel. Uh, yeah, any money is better than, than no money. Yeah, yeah I'll so take... That's exactly. And I, and I think as soon as they start doing that, you then start that snowball going again then of more subscribers because they now want to watch those big blockbusters of film and they can watch them on their own streaming service, on their own television and everything else. And, and you're then in a fight to get those people back to the cinema which is always a much much harder fight to get someone back than it is to maintain them in the first place so i don't think hollywood will stop i actually think what we're going to start seeing is they may well hold back some of those big things but hollywood is a much bigger machine than the cinema hollywood is going to carry on hollywood's going to carry on making movies and everything else it's just going to look for different different channels to get them out and it's going to take 70 percent on them not 100 percent or whatever it is they take First thing you said I disagreed with, because what will happen is they won't push the big blockbusters, they'll push the medium block, the medium films, medium budgets. Yeah. Those are the ones that will go. Yeah, I'm sure those, are, well, those will be the ones that, yeah. they go, that will go first. What I'm saying is you then have that difficulty in trying to get people back from that other channel across to the cinema. Do you think they'll catch up with the production? Because obviously, you know, production ceased for six months. Okay, they're starting ramping up again now. They're um, doing this bubble method or, you know, like Tom Cruise building Mm. whole villages for their crew and stuff. But um, do you think that six-month backlog, you know, that that gap in production will get filled really quickly? Or do you think these ones that are log-jammed will stretch out? There's going to be a point where there isn't new stuff arriving. You're making a good point, but I think the the big impact on that won't be cinema. It'll be the streaming services because their shows are not getting made. Now, I know Mark Yobbs, for example, uh, he's got a new show lined up to start filming in South Africa, and it's supposed to be well underway by now. They shoved it back to next year. I don't know what it's like in America at the moment, but normally at this time of year, all the new seasons start, and I bet a lot of them aren't. 
that's where the impact's going to be the quick turnover of tv this christmas is going to be a pretty desert island on tv I think you're right, Jeff, and I think we're starting to see that already. I think the streaming services are starting to run shorter cycles and they're taking things off sooner. And the problem is, is that people have got, we were talking about Ted Lasso earlier, people have got memories like Goldfish, haven't they? I mean, you take a series off there in three months' time, you put it back on there and you get a whole new audience for it. It's funny you should say that, Paul, because one of the things I've been looking at what they're starting to do is they're starting to sell some of their series onto terrestrial channels. So they've made their money by showing it on Netflix, say, or Prime, sell it on to the BBC, for example, let that audience build up there. So hopefully that will attract them in to the streaming service when a new series does eventually get back on there. Yeah, we're seeing that both ways, aren't we? We're seeing the BBC sell things like series one and two of some of the BBC series across onto Netflix, but then the further series are all over on iPlayer, almost moving between streaming services now. And I think there's probably some potential for that. This conversation has gone in a different way to what I thought, because we're talking about cinema. We'll come on and talk about theatre later, but we're talking about cinema. But I think the risk of no product is a greater risk for streaming and TV than it is for cinema at the moment. I'm not sure but I actually do think that people will sit on a sofa and watch crap on television. Um, I, I, I just think they will because it fills a space. And I know there are very few, I know a lot of the films you watch in the cinema, Jeff, I've often referred to using the same you words, but, shit if you want, but, mate. but I don't think, I don't think people are as likely to go to the cinema and watch it. I, I think, I think we'll see a lower quality of output on some of those streaming channels, but because it's the only option, people still sit there and watch them. Um, I've got a slight wrinkle or a slight twist on, on what Jeff was saying about the logjam of, of films. With Disney, for example, they are actually pushing a lot of their films back into 2022. So although we got Black Widow and Ch- uh, Shang-Chi the, and The Legend of the Ten Rings and The Eternals and Spider-Man 3. Is that a real title or what? we just made that shit up? No, Shang-Chi. The famous Shang-Chi. God, don't no. you know your Mandarin? No, is it in English oh, or is God, it going to be bloody in ah. Mandarin with English words at the Graham, this is the man who thinks Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle are made up films as well. So just let him, <laughs> just, just let him have it. But things like the next Thor film, they're pushing back into 2022 and everything, they're shifting back. So they're actually stretching things out because, as, as Paul said, because they've got more money than God, you know, they can they can survive this thing. Poor old City World hasn't got a hope. They've got deep pockets and they will use those deep pockets to ride this out. I think they will use a two-pronged approach. I think they'll be releasing the blockbusters in the cinema, and then all the tie-in films like uh, The Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, I think that's what they'll do. They'll give you an end-to-end. Oh, you liked Black Widow? Here's WandaVision on telly. Or you like this? Here's something we can do for you locally. What you're describing, Graham, is a cinematic equivalent of waterboarding. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, I I guess just to kind of close off my initial point about why I, why I think cinema 
and, and pick it up on Deck's point, why I think it has to adapt, why I think it has the status quo is the wrong model. If you look at two of the biggest cinema chains at the moment, if you look at if you look at Cineworld, there's a company called FTI Consulting who've been employed to look at Cineworld. They've been employed by the banks who Cineworld owe money to to actually look at how they can restructure Cineworld. So in in all intents and purposes, that's the banks getting very, very nervous um, about the money that they've got there. And then if you look at View, View have now employed Deloitte's. So, oh, God. So these these cinemas are actually employing or, or having enforced upon them people that are generally involved in closing things down. And if I'm a bank and I'm putting a big consulting company in to look at the financial structures of something like Cineworld, doing yeah. that for a reason. Yeah, they're asset strippers, aren't they? Really, that's what they're doing. And these guys now are part of those companies. You know, Deloitte are in view. FTI are in Cineworld. There is not for one minute should any of us expect those companies are going to come out of those and say, do you know what, banks, their model is great. Let's carry on the way it is. The other thing, the studios have got to be careful, though. I mean, OK, Disney's not a good example, but some of the other studios have got to be careful because if they don't start releasing decent product because they're worried it's not going to make as much money, um, they could potentially lose their distribution network. These cinemas could, these buildings, these physical locations could get mothballed and, and you know, shut, closed up. Yep. So that by the time they come to next year and they want to release their big film, Black Widow, there's nothing to show it on. You know, I think there's a real danger. They're holding off at the moment, but I think the studios are playing a risky game. I think they need to, again, I think they need to adapt as well as the cinema to say, okay, maybe... Maybe we do need to put some of these blockbuster movies out to get people back in yeah. the cinema because they're going to lose yeah. the whole network. And and like the like the eat out scheme that the, the government did, which I think is probably one of the better things it did in terms of getting rid of people's fear, not maybe in terms of spreading the virus, but in terms of helping people's fear, myself included, of going out to a restaurant. It made people go out that wouldn't have gone out maybe for another couple of months at least. And if we are where we are now, they wouldn't go out until next year. Mm. But it made people make that effort to go out. And I think, you know, I go to the cinema, like like you say, Paul, I've been going. And it's probably the safest place I go because I'm in a massive screen on my own. And, you know, (laughs) you could fit another 20 people in there and they would still be probably safer than anywhere else because they're so far apart. And yet there's no, no product. There's no product making those people go back. And until they go back and start to see, actually, it's it's not risky. You know, it's all about risk, isn't it? It's all about evaluating risk. They could go back and see that, especially somewhere like my local cinema, The Roses, has got a massive screen. They could see that actually I can sit a good five, six metres away from the nearest person, watch a film and feel totally safe. And people need to go back. And the problem is mm. the studios keep pulling their products, not releasing it, yeah. not releasing the big names. It's, it's never going to end. And before you know it, these cinemas are going to close and then come... 12 months time they say all right we're going to show black widow oh actually we've only got half the cinemas that used to be there you're right the big ones in london will stay open and things like that but but suddenly they've lost their distribution network now the the, the big streaming services won't care and, and disney might not care because they've got a streaming service but these other studios that are producing this stuff you know they haven't got that option so i'm not sure you're making a really good point and to look at that is the Bond film, that No Time to Die. 
a couple of weeks ago, they advertised big release November and they're pushing and pushing November. So the cinemas were gearing up for this. The day they pulled it in that morning, they were sorting out with the big, like Empire magazine, interviews with the cast. We'll get people in. We'll chat to them all. That was in the morning. Early afternoon, they said, right, we're not releasing it till April. And everybody's caught by surprise. Yeah. Now, yeah, the, the cinemas, and you're quite right, they have to, if they say we're going to release it at this stage, they move it there and say, right, you've got to stick to that now. You know, for the first couple of months that we're going to do this, uh, we've got to stick to it. Where we are at this moment in time, last week Soul was pulled, and it's going to go on to Disney+. Plus. And that was opening in Thanksgiving in America. If it was a time where films would have made money and a film like Soul would have made money, that was it. The fact is now I can see everything from December, everything from January going in the next couple they, of they weeks. They need to lost leaders. They need to put some out there. I mean, Talent's mm. a good example. I mean, it's probably not, it's probably going to just about break even because it's, they reckon it's going to probably make $350 million worldwide, which I think it cost about $290 million or something to make. And then you've got the marketing budget. So, they'll probably just about break even on tenant. Now they would have made a lot more money, obviously in a non COVID world. That's, that's fair enough, but, but they just about broke even. Now I think they could follow that model and put a blockbuster out there, leave it on for longer, you know, a longer stretch because there's no competition and yeah, they might lose a bit short term. They might lose money on the first couple of big blocks that they release, but once they get people back and people see that it's okay, then it will slowly creep up. And then when the spring comes next year, whether maybe, you know, maybe the news changes and it's slightly better, they'll have already got a lot of people back. Um, so I just think they need to do something. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They pulled Candyman. Now, Candyman was a low-budget horror movie designed for Halloween, and they pulled it. Now, if ever a film could have gone out there and would have made its money back, the overseas sales would have put it into profit, regardless of anything else. So it was a no-brainer to put it out, but they pulled it. That's how bad this is. I hear what you're saying, but I think that because of our love for cinema, we kind of we're a little bit rose-tinted, and it's a very, very hand-to-mouth business, cinema. And I actually think it doesn't have the long game left in it at the moment without changing so waiting for those blockbusters and running for a year and things like that i don't think it has that in it i, I mean i mentioned earlier obviously about the sharks are circling in some of those the debt position i think is is fairly fundamental but what we're seeing now is very very small swings and decisions impacting the financial positions of them quite badly i'll give you an example of that and it on the day that Cineworld announced it was closing again, its share price dropped that morning by 57%. It rallied later on during the day, and by closure, the impact of Cineworld closing there was a long-term 36% reduction in its value. That wasn't really their decision to close. They had pretty much no option i think it had if they hadn't closed it would almost certainly have been enforced upon them um fairly soon anyway but actually what you're seeing is the market reacting massively to when these things are happening and i just can't see that without looking and out moving towards one of those other models there's the long-term gain left in it even the blockbuster situation and unblocking the logjam does that really create a sustainability based on where it's now at? 
you know, would we see it suddenly if the Bond movie comes back out, its share price increase by 136% to be able to counter what it's, what it's losing? I, I just think, I just think it's in a, it's in an incredibly difficult position uh, where it is at the moment. And it's not in that position through bad decisions or anything else. It, it, I think I used the term to you previously, Jervis. It's hit a bit of a perfect storm. Yeah. Uh, in terms of where it's at at the moment, it's carrying high debts. It has no product that you've mentioned at the moment, and it's going to have to work in terms of that product. The kind of people it makes most money from are not coming through the doors, and it'd be difficult to try. And I hear what you say, Deck, about the blockbusters and those people coming back. But the problem is, is those are the same people that an awful lot of them are actually afraid to go to the supermarket at the moment, never mind go to the cinema. So, so I just think in terms of looking at that, it's... Yeah. You say that though, but there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people in that category that have gone back to restaurants, that have gone back to pubs. Not not everyone, but they are still. They, they, that seems to have worked, and now they're obviously trying to do a U turn and stop them again. But um, why did it work? Why did it work? It worked because people wanted cheap yes, meals. So maybe this is it. Maybe this is the key. Maybe a lot of these hospitalities need to have an incentive, either provided by the government, provided by the film studios, provided by something. To, to try and get people back in. I mean, you look at all the data. I've not heard, and I've researched it as much as I could, of any big outbreaks being connected to a cinema. I've heard them being yeah, workplaces. Yeah. I've heard them being pubs. I've heard them being restaurants. I've not heard them at all in the cinemas, probably because there's no one going. But anyway, it's as I say, that hasn't clicked in people's mind yet that actually it is probably quite safe to go back. But, but something needs to happen. As I said with, with the adapting, I think, they need to be creative. They need to get people back uh, and feel safe in cinemas, like they have in other things. I'd love you. I'd love you to be right, Deck, and, uh, and I really, I really, really would. I, I, firstly, I, I'm not feeling it, um, and, I, and I, I kind of, I can't see how those numbers work. And Graham was talking about the numbers earlier in terms of turning them over in his head. I can't see how they work. The other reason I'd love you to be right is, is I think that. We've invested more and more in kind of multiplex cinemas now that are almost the centre of a leisure. Yes, I was going to get onto that. This is a bigger impact than just the cinemas. And it is. I mean, once again, looking sort of locally, I mean, you look at something like yeah. the brewery without Cineworld there, frankly, would there be those restaurants? I know those restaurants struggle as it is at the moment. Would there be those bars? Would there be those restaurants? Would there... There's one thing that attracts people there. And, that... and that's and that's not, that's even not a very good example because I've been to places that are like right out of town where they're almost like on an industrial state where the cinema is the, the main thing and next to it will be a bowling alley and a f- restaurants. And you have to, you know, it's not like in Cheltenham where it's in the in the town. You have to actually get in your car drive quite a way out of the town to go to one of these places and you do two or three things so you might go and have a meal with your family go to film maybe go to a bar afterwards you might go bowling beforehand if you've got younger children and you do it all on that one sort of complex don't you that one sort of a bit like a shopping mall but for leisure things um and you're right so there there's lots of losers here it's a um, cycle of failure isn't it really if the cinema goes what you'd expect to see is the domino effect to be cliched and see those other businesses go the other reason i'm str- i struggle a little bit with and i really do like what you're saying in terms of the idea deck the other bit i really struggle with is is cinemas reopened and some people got some confidence in terms of going back albeit distance and everything else the worst thing that could happen then at that point is cinemas close again in terms of people's confidence so cinemas have closed again 
now due to COVID. So when cinemas open again, I think it's a more difficult position than when they open again in the first instance. I think it's a tougher job when they reopen again. And they closed again because of the product, though, not because of COVID, didn't they? They closed a second time because there's no product. But you've got to try and explain that to people, haven't you? You've got to try and explain that to your casual cinema goer, your popcorn buyer who's going to take their family. Yeah. But, but this yeah. is where I agree. the cinema change and the distribution companies have to sit and work together. And as we were saying earlier, you know, these are the blockbusters we're going to open. We are going to keep to these dates. Once you've got that and start advertising it, that's what will get the people back. Yeah, and there's a, there's a there's a real record, isn't there, of these companies all working really well together? <laughs> that was said so so straight faced. That was said for unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good though. No, no, Jeff, you're missing a key point. The cinemas are no longer in charge of their own future. They have got the bankers, the accountants, and the consultants are in there, and they know nothing about the entertainment industry and they're the ones who are going to be making the decisions for the next six months i really worry about this because to get this right there needs to be a huge amount of joined up thinking well there has been a precedent for this when the movie moguls moved out of cinema and the big corporations started taking over the cinema chains thinking oh really cool we're going to be making movies now uh and some of the choices were good and some of the choices were bad and I think this will be the same. I think I think the guys with deep pockets are going to buy the lot because they're already they already see entertainment as a key factor in their future strategy. So Apple see cinema and and producing cinematic things for their streaming service as part of their key deliverable to their customers. And I also think Netflix are are going to be really dangerous. And Amazon, you can never count out Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Uh, Apple and Amazon are the two to watch. Disney, I think, um, could have overstretched themselves. And I think that Netflix... Again, I, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna struggle a little bit in the new year with the the lack of product coming through that they need to keep that interest. But they've got the bankers behind them. The bankers will fund anything that Apple and Netflix and and the, and, and Amazon so, do. say that if the subscriptions start being cancelled at record rates. Jeff, Jeff, I, I remember. I remember about eighteen months ago, I came on the pod and we started talking about Disney coming into the market an ample mm. into the market uh, and netflix we all thought would be the ones that were likely to struggle the most they're probably the ones that over the streaming cycle have come out of it best i would say in terms of where they're at at the moment i am with you though I, i'm not quite so sure that netflix will be as interested as as apple and amazon i don't think their pockets are as deep but i also think they know yes. where their model is yeah. they they have got a very yeah. strong model. Are Netflix making more products than the others at the moment? Are they making more, rather than buying it, are they actually making more themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Netflix make an awful lot of movies, certainly more movies than, than Amazon. I don't know whether, probably almost certainly more movies than Disney in terms of Disney, Disney, but obviously Disney's got all of its offshoots and everything else as well. The problem with Disney is they're, original product for this streaming platform has to conform to a lower certificate which is understandable but also it's generally not that good i mean the mandalorian your marvel series 
But a lot of the other stuff isn't that good. Whereas I think Netflix make, do make interesting content, but I think they're going to run out. Prime are just throwing money hand over fist. That Lord of the Rings thing is phenomenal how much it's costing. But look at those brands and look at the diverse ones and look at the, I think Netflix have got a really strong model. They understand what their model is mm. and they are going to milk and hammer that model. Can I just pick up something on that Netflix? And there's something that came up in a conversation we had with Mark Yobbs, who, who's working a lot for Netflix and say so his new series is for them as well. When Netflix started, they give the money to the people they had and said, you're the creative talent, go off and do what you do. We're not going to interfere. Now they're starting to interfere. And that's where things start to go wrong. I'm interested. I know you keep mentioning these companies, but I'm interested in, in the companies like the studios, like the distribution companies. There's some big names that we all know, that Warner Brothers and, 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 you know, and other companies, and even some of the distributions now, we all recognize the names when it comes on at the start of the, of the film. These are big companies. They're, they're, nothing's happening at the moment. They're not making any money. They may be making a product, but they're not distributing it and they're not selling it to anyone. They might be selling it to streaming services, make a quick buck. I don't know what their long-term thing is. Are they just going to mm. sit and wait for how long? I don't know. You talk about big companies though, Deck. Perspective in terms of that, I, and I, I've had to Google this while I've just sat here. How much do you think Warner Brothers are worth? I don't know, but it's small fry compared to Amazon, I'm sure. <laughs> Warner, Warner Brothers' total net worth is $5 billion. Oh, God. Cineworld's mm. debt is $8 billion. Wow. <laughs> so they're big companies, and they're big companies in the movie world, but we are talking about monolithic companies in some of these some of these environments aren't we so so I, I i don't think the same options are open to what would traditionally have bought the cinemas so something like in in jeff's time for instance something mm, like yeah. warner brothers would have bought the cinemas now i mean frankly buying cineworld would wipe out all of warner brothers value completely wouldn't it so i do think you're down to these big boys i really do i don't think it is the studios anymore now that that's an interesting point because one of them and I'm not sure if it was Amazon or if it was Netflix has just signed a deal with Universal for them to exclusively make a lot of their content and use their studios. I might be wrong on the company, but that's one of the deals. I think it's Apple. It's Apple I think it's Apple have just signed yeah, a now, deal. Apple in, intrigued me because they're not put, still not putting a great deal out in, their, in terms of their own product. What they're putting out is good quality. There's no doubt about it. You know, they've got one film already out there. They just bought another one, Sofia Coppola's film, On the Rocks. But they're not investing a great deal as yet. And I've just got this feeling that they're waiting to pounce on something, and I don't know what. But that's Apple's model, isn't it? They always slowly, slowly. You don't get the newest, greatest 5G on an Apple phone till it's been out a year. You know, so they just announced today, for example, that they're moving into 5G. Samsung did it last year. They're, they're very careful and very picky and very choosy. The other thing is that we've got the creative types. So Guillermo del Toro is doing a massive work for Netflix at the minute. Ten After Midnight a series that he's, he's coming up with. That's going to be a, a huge thing. He's He's doing that directly with netflix and there are other people like that and i'm just looking at netflix's they've moved a whole heap of their production facilities to new zealand because it's covid free and people can work just as normal 
and they've got Weta Digital on the North Island and they can get all their special effects done there. So I think things are changing. But the thing with Netflix is they've got the smell of awards. They've started to love that now. You know, the Romas, the Irishman, <laughs> and this year the trial of the Chicago 7 is the one they're lining up for the Oscars. Yeah. If you like, they've been – the lights have got them. So do you think some of these studios are going to be bought out? Do you think quite a lot of them will be by these big companies? Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, say Disney spent so much money on buying Fox, they've got to be in a bit of trouble at the moment. I don't know. They they spent four billion on buying LucasArts and got twelve billion back. They're also worth less than ten percent of the value yeah. of Amazon, <laughs> and they're f- Disney, and they're six percent of the value of Apple. Yeah, see, and, and it's the most successful <laughs> in that in those terms in terms of product. It's the most successful company on film company on the planet. Do you think the other interesting thing is going to be the product because they're not going to be able to make as many big budget films if restrictions are still even even okay they might be able to you know go to an island in some of them might be to go to an island in new zealand or or hire a whole part of a country or something but but generally to get the amount of content there's going to be a change in the way films are made i would argue you could do that for any film say my favorite tv series of this year has been perry mason and the way they recreated the 1930s most of it was digital was incredible. I, you can do that now for any film. Yeah, I think the the, the Mandalorian. Uh, I mean, the production values on the Mandalorian are incredible, and the costs are tiny because they're using these big LED screens instead of green screens. They've got an LED screen behind all the action that tracks with the camera. So you know they can create anything on that set, and Disney are looking to use that everywhere. Is that is that uh, starts to get really interesting though because that takes you down a more uh, almost down a model where it will be cheaper for Apple or Netflix oh, or sorry Apple yes, or Amazon yes. to make a film yes. because yeah. of their technology and investment that they can bring to play. Then it might well be for Warner Brothers <laughs> to make a film because they have got the money to buy <laughs> yes. what the other guys have got. Exactly. So you 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 could you could suddenly end up in this really really weird place, can't you? Where these guys are making better quality films for half the price yeah. of these guys over here, uh, and those guys over there have only been doing it for sixty years. But what's really <laughs> fascinating about what Paul's been saying this evening is, so Paul has mentioned about you know these companies will buy up the cinema change and they'll distribute their product along with other product that they want to be seen. They'll build their own studios. And, of course, they got the technology that they can seal off and film within those. So if you need to go outside, their studios are there for, the, for that filming. If, you, if you're doing digital, you've got inside. We're back to the 1930s and 40s, Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah. We're back to backlots, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. I mean, we've wandered a bit, but I think that's really I think the numbers are really interesting, guys, because I do think, and this is where I'm with Graham, I think there is a coldness in the world now that doesn't have the romance of the twenties and the thirties in terms of in terms of where it is. And I do think that those numbers are going to play a really, really big part in where cinema goes. Okay. So I just want to jump from cinema for a moment then onto theatre. And that brings its own problems. Now theatres, I believe, are open. The Roses, is that open showing theatre deck or? <laughs> that theatres are opening and they're um but they're again they're i think they're adapting quicker than cinemas are because they're not handcuffed so much by 
big companies, big studios, not giving them product and stuff. They a lot of theatres can negotiate with casts and and make their own products. So, um, so yeah, that both. I mean, you mentioned pantomime. Um, so both the Roses and the Everyman Theatre in Cheltenham have adapted. Um, they realise they can't put on pantomimes. The cast is too big. They can't make enough money because they can't fill it enough to pay for all the lavish stuff that goes on. So they're, they're both showing stripped back Christmas events. So what they've done is, so the Roses is um, your friend that's been on the podcast before, Mr. Nick Wilkes. Yeah. So Nick, he's yeah. doing a show yes. at the Roses. So it's just him. I think it's a two man show. So again, the cast is just two and he wrote it and directed it. So two of them can just stay in Tewkesbury or wherever they want to stay nearby, you know, in their own bubble and not come into contact with anyone through the whole of the Christmas period. So they will make some money out of that. And of course, like with what Paul said about the cinema, they'll try and make money from selling ice cream and coffees and all the other things, the bar, the, you know, things that do bring in the money. So even though they only get half the people in, they, they'll probably be less children in, even though it is a family show. So maybe more people will go to the bar, maybe more people will buy coffee. I don't know. But that that's their model. And then the everyman has done two things. One is they're putting on a Christmas carol by a puppet company called Boxtail Soup, which is just a husband and wife team. And I think one other relative. So, again, the cast small and they're using puppets to make the cast bigger, if you sort of mean. Um, so, again, they've got a small cast and they're putting on a Christmas carol done with puppets. So, again, it's a family friendly show. But it's cheaper for them to, you know, they've got less people to hire and, and the set and everything will be a lot cheaper. So the production costs are dough. But again, they can only sell half the tickets. And then again, they're putting, they're putting on a pantomime, but it's like a one one or two man show again. So they're following the Roses' model, putting on a very reduced cast type thing. So that's their way around it. So they've adapted quite quickly because, you know, Christmas is not that far away. Um, and of course, they have to market it and advertise. So they had to make these decisions quite quickly as soon as they knew it wasn't going to get any better. They've adapted and they will get some success from that. Obviously, it won't be the same as filling it to the rafters and having a panto. But I think they're learning and they're adjusting. But as I said right at the start of the show, I think theatres and cinemas could help each other out because things like the West End shows are struggling to come back. Yeah, the they're End. struggling to come yeah. back because it's a big thing. So how about this? How about you put a West End show on, but you film it, live stream it. So you put it on. So it's on in the theatre, but there's no audience or maybe a, a very limited audience. Maybe you charge a bit more because they're premium, you know, because they're, they're actually going to be in the audience. But you have a limited audience in there watching it, but it's live streamed to cinemas. So the cinemas get a win because they get a product that's not costing them much. And the, the West End would get a cut of that as well. So if they worked together, if they came to some sort of deal and worked together, maybe there's a way of doing that. Maybe I could go and see a, a West End show live. Okay, it's on a screen, but live down the road in the Roses that I wouldn't that would cost me a fortune to go and see in London. Much like the um they did with the you know where they record it and show it and and the what's it called the um, you went and saw a few didn't you Graham? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do their their simulcasts. Yeah, they, those are live and, as well. But, the, but those are live. But again, that's that's a really interesting point because um, the cinemas already do those uh, live cinema events uh, where they have uh, they team up with Covent Garden and they team up with the New York Met and people like that and they stream lots of opera. The opera crowd are not leaving their houses because you know I don't want to stereotype them, but they are all over. 70 years of age and they're you know they're not coming out of their houses and they're having their food delivered 
So that's another revenue stream that Cineworld has completely lost because they used to make a fortune on the live streaming events. But if they were to do more modern West End shows like Wicked or, or the, some of the Andrew Lloyd Webbers, then they might they might attract a, a younger audience. The only thing I think, and I, I guess as Deck knows, my love is music more so than cinema and, and probably certainly more so than theatre. The only thing I think you miss is that, is that kind of electricity piece um, that you get with watching something live. And now that might be that a good thing in some respects because you might attract a totally different audience um, off the back of that. But I think you're kind of your people who would go to the theatre to watch something, I think are unlikely or less likely to go to the cinema to watch it. I think cinema needs us to spend more money to be sustainable. If you're going to remove the popcorn model, that money has to go on the ticket. Now, the ticket, if we said the average ticket price is, I don't know, 11, 12 quid at the moment, obviously less for Jeff with concessions, as we've said. Um, <laughs> but for me to go and watch, for instance, Gloucester play rugby, um, then I have to pay 45 quid for 90 minutes to go and watch Gloucester play rugby. Now, they all still sell me shirts and T-shirts and, and drinks and all those kind of things, but my ticket is 45 quid in terms of doing that. So, so that's a different model because actually they're putting the cost of putting on that entertainment is actually on the ticket price. I think the cost of putting on the film for you at cinema is significantly more than the £12 you pay to get in. So let's just pick up on that. And I, I want to go back to Tenant. So when Tenant opened, Warner Brothers turned around and said, now what normally happens is you get a sliding scale. So first week, they might 70% of the profits go to Warner Brothers, 30% with the cinema, and then that will drop to 60%, 50% and so forth. With Tenant, Warner's turned around and said, no, nah, we're not doing that this time. We're giving a standard 66% every week every performance has to come to us. And that would that also would, of course, cinemas to struggle. And, and you'll see that more and more because they hold the Trump cards, um, which once again is, is, once again, Graham is another nail in a coffin, really. Um, exactly. There's no, there's no sharing <laughs> no. of the pain, is there? All the pain is going to end up on one poor individual and it'll probably be us and we'll end up paying more for a ticket. But I won't say you guarantee you won't Disney's uh, prices are, and how much they make off each film won't go down. It'll be, we'll be paying more and, you know, the front end guys will be taking the cinemas and, and the distributors will be taking more money. Yeah, it's just shocking. It's just shocking. I don't. I don't think they found the space there yet, though, with the the streaming prime stuff. You know, the the Mulans and stuff. They haven't quite got the pricing models right on those yet. I think they'll play around with those. We'll see an awful lot of playing around with those prices over the next twelve months. And, and that's a that's a really interesting point because you've got this video on demand where you've got where we're going to get into a stage where first run cinema films will come on to the likes of Sky or, you know, through Amazon Prime, where you can buy them to, to watch at about £14, £15. So, for example, and it's coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, Robert Zemeckis' film The Witches was originally due to go to cinemas. It's been sold to HBO Max in America, and over here it's coming video on demand for a cost of £15. 
Graham has got a particular concern over this because Fat Man coming for Christmas about with Mel Gibson playing Father Christmas uh, is also going straight <laughs> to video on demand. Kids with a deer rifle put two holes in the sleigh, one in me. All I have is a loathing for a world that's forgotten. The United States military would like to procure your services. This is a one-time deal, gentlemen. I'm gutted, guys. Right. I'm gutted. It's a Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, we'll be talking about it. Somebody will be, <laughs> not me. Okay, this, um, let's look at bringing, wrap, wrapping this up. So we, we've covered a lot on cinemas and theatres. So let's say 12 months' time. And for sake of argument, let's say a vaccine is found for COVID. They roll that out in spring and summer next year. Where do you see us in 12 months' time? I think, and, and we'll come back 12 months' time, and we'll have a look. I think Cineworld won't be here. However, that may manifest itself. Um, okay. Yeah. I'd add to that. I, I can't see a way out, Jeff. I can't, I can't no, see no, a way no, out. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll add to that. AMC Odeon is also in the same trouble. I think Odeon, likewise Odeon. I don't like what's happening at the moment with the financial guys in the cinemas. I think, I think those are normally short-term measures. Um, and I think I think I can't see it. I can't see it, and that will be my prediction, Jeff. Twelve months. So a vast reduction in cinemas, which goes back to Dex's uh, comment that it's all very well for them to have all these blockbusters, but if you're going anywhere to show them, I'm a bit more optimistic because I think they're going to have to change, and I'm still reliant on those people at the moment that are just putting their head in the sand. I'm still hoping. Whether their hand is forced by accountants, I don't know. But but I hope that maybe not 100% of them, the, the cinemas, we may see a reduced number, but I'm hoping they do bang their heads together and they do adapt and they do come up with a medium to long-term solution that gets us through, I don't know. I mean, I've, I read and a lot of people think it will be 2023 until things are maybe back to how they were before. So we're we're talking a good three years, and I and I think to survive those three years, they've got to change, they've got to adapt, and I'm fingers crossed, hoping they will. I I really I really want to be with you on that one, Deck, more than you would imagine. I just think what you're talking about is an awful lot of effort would have to go into it in a very short space of time. Oh, it would, <laughs> it would, and it's and it's whether these people want to put the effort in, and you and you're right, maybe some of the big boys in the streaming market will make it impossible for them to do anything like that. Well, we'll and I think Graham, I think Graham's point is really relevant here is that I don't think they're making their own decisions anymore. No, no, no. No. Uh, and the other thing is, and, and I think you've crystallized my thinking, both Decker and Paul have done this. I think the cinema industry at the minute talking going from the creative types who are making the stuff to the distributors to the studios to the the cine world of this world if they don't work together to come up with a very coherent fast plan you've got the uh, amazons and the apples and the netflixes sitting waiting for them to fall over and they will pounce now, the accountants that, that are sat in Cineworld 
must be looking over their shoulder saying, well, we've got all this debt. We could probably acid strip this and get some money back. But if they try and take on Amazon, Amazon will just send in their attack lawyers and they'll be left with nothing. Amazon will really rip them to pieces and they will pick it apart. And they, uh, Amazon or Apple or whoever will end up with all the cinemas they need to push their product out. And they could lose the lot. They could lose the lot. They could lose it for right the way back to the uh, to the Disney's and the uh, and the Warner Brothers of this world. It's a very very serious situation, and I don't think I've never met an accountant with an imagination, and I don't think they're thinking at that level. I think they're thinking, how much can I get for this desk and chair? I just I just hope that even if next year is a horrible year and things you know cinemas close up and and you know the lights are switched off and and it, and there's nowhere we can go to see you know have the cinema experience um i just hope even if the big boys come in and buy it up or whoever's if they they cut the cake up differently i just hope it comes back um even in a different form i just really really i think and i think it sh- i think it will because i think at the end of the day people want that experience and it proved it with the numbers people people want it um and maybe in it maybe it, same with the music industry Paul. I, I think people want it they may have to adapt to what they get you know to get something slightly different but i think there's still a need you know especially in this world where there's a lot of misery and death and everything you need entertainment you know it's the creative industries have been hit really hard and everyone's mental well-being is taking a battering and we rely on these creative industries to keep us sane we rely, you know the art world and, and everything and, and, and literature we all rely on this more than we give credit for we, we all sort of take it as for granted we all think all we need is food and drink and we're fine but we don't we need a lot more um you know i'm sure when we come out of this the number of suicides will have gone through the roof because of the lack of because of the lack of the creative industries and, unfortunately they and, are and, they are and, the, create, the good thing about the creative industries is they are creative. Um, they do. I mean, the literature festival was just finished with Cheltenham. What a brilliant job they did to adapt to a situation that they were thrown into, to be able to give people that that content in in many different forms and ways. And they had to do that quickly. And they did a bloody good job of it. And I hope they make a lot of money from it, or at least make enough money to survive um, by selling the live stream on. But you know, uh, to people who want to watch the back catalogue and stuff of what happened. I just hope that, you know, it may not all work magically straight away, but I just, I have faith in some ways in these creative industries will hopefully be able to work with the accountants, hopefully, maybe not straight away, but at some point in the future, and it will come back in a different form maybe, but it will. I, I think you'll see a huge rise in cinema clubs. I think you're right, Jeff. I think small independent cinemas, cinema clubs, I think there's a real place for those. Um, and I think they'll continue to be a place. See, I think I think we've lightened it to the music industry a little bit. And, um, and theatre is probably a little bit more like the music industry, obviously, than cinema. Cinema's problem is cinema's playing with big boys all the time. So to get these big blockbusters and things like that, which are its lifeblood, it involves the big boys. Music's slightly different um, in that music is, is is far more disparate. 
you know, there's 100,000 albums or so released every year. There's not 100,000 films released every year in terms of that. that. The success of it, the ground level is the small venues and stuff like that, which cinema doesn't have anymore. You know, it doesn't have so many of the small cinemas, the small venues. The problem is, is cinema's moved up market and it's actually moved into the shark pool a little bit more than some of those other industries. I think there is still a real space for independent cinemas. I think there's a real space for hobby-based cinemas and cinema clubs and all of those kind of things. And I think those will persist because I think there's a, there's a real desire and love for those in the same way as there is for things like independent music, in the same way as there is for things like dramatics and amateur dramatics and those kind of things. It is It is at the top end that I think is the struggle. And it's that that top end in terms of cinema that I that I, I is kind of hurting me most. I think yeah. at the moment. Couldn't agree more. I think um, we'll we'll draw this to a close. So I think summing up, we have a number of concerns of the future, considering from the point that we are now. Hopefully, not all of them will be realised, but we will do a follow up in twelve months' time, and let's see if. Uh, Mystic Paul's predictions were correct. I, I think the only thing I would say around that prediction, Jeff, is it is absolutely the last thing in the world I would want to happen. Uh, absolutely, we, we've looked at mm. this quite coldly, step back from it, and and try and try to be honest. I'm not as mad as you lot, but I do I do love the cinema, um, and I go to the cinema a lot. Like I say, not not watching <laughs> half the crap you watch, Jeff. <laughs> Um, I don't watch Marvel films unless I'm forced to. <laughs> and, I, and I think I think I think everything I've said so far hurts um, yeah, in terms of yeah, that because it, it isn't it isn't what I would ever want to happen. But in the cold hard light of day, it's yeah. it's becoming a numbers game. Yes, yeah. And for anybody listening to this, if you stayed with us all the way through this, well done. Uh, and if you've got a view, you think we're totally wrong, or if you agree with us, drop us a line and let us know what you think. But the bottom line of all this is cinema and theatre are important, yep. but they're not as important as everybody staying safe through this pandemic. So please, everyone out there, stay safe, take care, and we'll come out the other side. It might be different, but we will come out the other side. Guys, thank you all very much. Thank you very much, guys. I'll see you on the next one. Cheers, guys. Cheers, all. Thank you. So that fascinating discussion was our take on where cinema could go as we go through this bizarre time of COVID. Now, since we recorded this show, we have heard that Warner Brothers are going to simultaneous release all major films in 2021 in cinemas and on streaming. And that has far-reaching consequences. Graham, what was your initial reaction when you heard that news? Well, I must admit, I was really quite depressed. I thought, well, hang on, why would anybody go to the cinema then if they can just pick it up on a streaming service? And surely this screws over a lot of their cinema chains, such as Odeon and Cineworld. I mean, where are they going to get their revenue from if people can just stay at home? And people have got used to staying at home. That's the other problem. So, yeah, it's quite a depressing and uh, quite a pivotal moment for the, uh, the theatres, really. I think so. Um, I know in America the cinema chain AMC is fighting back. I, I just find it astonishing that Warner's are essentially cutting off a revenue stream. 
because people will go to HBO Max to do it. Now, if this is Warner's way of building HBO Max into a Disney or a Netflix, I think it's the wrong way to do it. You know, they should be channeling their mini series of Zack Snyder's Justice League rather than taking something that had a life elsewhere and pulling it in there after that cinema time has gone. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think we're in for a very rough 2021, much more than I thought we would. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the other thing, of course, that Warner Brothers got that incredible back catalogue, and I thought that was what was going to pull people in, and serious film fans and film nerds like ourselves, into the HBO Max world would be to get to see all of these absolute classics again, really good prints, redigitized, reworked for 4K, all of that sort of stuff, streaming into your house. But no, they're actually going to use all of that technology to stream stuff that I would have gone to the cinema for. It's quite quite a head shift. Yes, uh, because some of these films demand cinemas to be seen. You know, Dune. I, I, Dune. Yes, yeah, Dune yeah. demands a big, yeah, yeah. a huge vista. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they feel guilty for picking that director. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but, right, personal uh, opinion, Jeff. Yep, yep. This is a fast-changing situation, and I'm sure that when you come around to listen to this it may well have changed again but if you have any comments on what we've said tonight or as we're talking about now the current and changing situation please let us know we'll certainly read them out on air and if you can guess where we're going to be in 18 months time you're a better man than i am certainly a better man than neil right (laughs) okay thanks jeff and thank you graham